This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. It's uh, two minutes past nine. You tune to 102.73 Triple R. Time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. And I'm Angeline Charles. How are you, Angeline? I'm good. How are you? Very well, thank you. I'm loving your octopus and starfish shirt. <laughs> Very Radio Marinara. It's the shirt I wore for our OB. I thought I'd better <laughs> give it another run. <laughs> awesome. Hey, um, thank you very much, Tim. Thank you, Tim, for Vital Bits. Thank you, Edith. She's the only person I've ever known to make a Brussels sprout festival sound like the absolute thing that you have to do today. I'm like seriously thought, can I squeeze this in? I don't like Brussels sprouts. Don't you? No. I love Brussels sprouts. Hugo Spiceland, who presents Frank every Thursday from midnight till two, big plug for Frank. He loves Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a love or hate thing, isn't it? It is. They really it's like do. broccoli too. Yeah, I appreciate coriander. Them. Oh, see, I love coriander. I I'd have coriander on my wheat bix if I could. Oh, really? I don't even eat wheat bix. Disgusting. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> on to the program. Uh, Angeline, you've got some news. I do. Mm-hmm. Yes, about uh, SeaWorld. We'll oh, do you want to start with that now? It's a bit of a long story. No, no, that's all right. We'll, we'll come back to it in a sec. I'll just go through the program. And then um, we're catching up with Adam Shalikoff from the Mornington Peninsula Council. He's talking about uh, a campaign that they're running at the moment. Well, it's more of a survey, a bit, 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 bit of a vox pop at a very large level to um, get a sense from their community. And it's what a large, wide, diverse community it is down on the Mornington Peninsula. Um, about cl- It's called Clean and Green Peninsula. So they're looking for feedback from... Um, 
anyone who lives down there. Uh, I think or you need to live down, down there. there. You could probably holiday down there as well. Have a holiday home? Yes. I actually looked uh, at, at the survey last night and you do have to declare which suburb or which township you oh, are okay. from. But I think if you had a sort of fairly permanent um, residence, holiday home, if you're lucky enough, um, you could probably take part in it too. Anyway, we'll have a chat to Adam about what that's all about and some of the work that Council's doing to address the issue of climate change, um, particularly with a coastal bent. So looking forward to speaking with him. Um, I've got a few bits of news and a few plugs that I want to get in as well. We're then going to cross to Sydney to speak with Anne Gabriel from the Marine Stewardship Council. This coming Friday is uh, Sustainable Seafood Day, um, which is an initiative of the Marine Stewardship Council. They run it every year. It's on a slightly different date every year. I think last last year it was earlier in March. This year it's the 31st. So we're going to speak with Anne about Marine Stewardship Council and what they do. If, if you're not familiar with them, you may not be. It's been quite a while since we've had them on this program. So we'll, we'll kick off with that and then talk about the Oceania group, which she heads up. Okay, uh, so what great. kind of how far does that cover? How far does that extend to? And then Neil Blake is coming in, our baykeeper. He wants to talk about some. Um, you can see <laughs> on my I running just, sheet. I just read this on the sheet. <laughs> Randy penguins, really? Penguins have been getting on. <laughs> The St Kilda Penguins. I know. I'm thinking, wow, it's kind of festival season. Maybe it's got to the penguins in some way. So, Possibly. Yeah. Maybe it's just that time of the year. Neil sent me a message during the week. He said the um, the penguins in, uh, around St Kilda are fornicating more than usual. Could be a good story. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, how are you actually going to top that? That's actually an excellent story. Come in and talk about that, please, Neil. Hilarious. Yeah. Bit of weather. 28 today, partly cloudy, patchy morning fog about the nearby hills, a uh, slight chance of a shower in the morning. <sighs> what do you reckon? I reckon it's not going to rain. The number of days they've said showers and it doesn't. We could go yesterday, but it just looks the, the clouds are pretty high, so... Depends on where you are. Yeah, probably. Uh, light winds becoming northwest to northeasterly, 15 to 20 kilometres an hour in the evening, uh, tomorrow, and 28 today, tomorrow 32 but showers developing with a cool change and then down to 22 on Tuesday, back up to 27 and sunny on Wednesday, back down to 19 on Thursday. It's yo-yo weather this week. And then uh, 18 Friday, 20 Saturday. So I guess the take-home things here are around 30 today and tomorrow, then brief respite on Tuesday, back up to 27 and then cool for the rest of the week. <laughs> the cooler temperatures are starting to prevail. Oh, they're taking their time, aren't they? That's not a bad thing, though. It's I mean, you know, maybe... Globally, climate-wise, it's not a great thing, but, you know, it's been enjoyable. Yeah. I've got some coats and boots and oh, scarves and hats that need, need wearing. Need a run, do they? They do. They're getting very <laughs> impatient. Um, surf forecast, light winds, small swells favouring the open beaches east of Melbourne. For the best waves, water temperature is still 20 degrees. Um, down at Phillip Island, experienced board riders will find good waves at Willamai. Mornington Peninsula, clean surf around 1.2 metres, 2.5 metres, sorry, at Ports in Gunnamatta and on the surf coast, 13th Beach and Fairhaven have small clean surf up to half a metre. And finally, the tide times at Point Lonsdale heading for a high tide at 10.30 this morning and then a low tide at 4.06 this afternoon. Excellent. Hmm. Now, you know, recently um, SeaWorld in the USA, because, you know, the one in Australia is not related at all. They've been having a bit of a hard time um, because of the documentary Blackfish which came out and highlighted how poorly orcas were being treated. Mm. Um, and then some things have changed in the US since then. So in 2015 in November, SeaWorld announced their San Diego theme park, 
would phase out killer whale, show, killer whale shows and they finished early this year. Mm. And that was probably a preemptive move really because um, at the time the California government was considering a bill to outlaw all orca breeding and performance. And that did get through. That was signed off on the 14th of September by the Governor Jerry Brown in 2016. So that's why um, San Diego went ahead of the others. And the other parks, Orlando and San Antonio, will be ending their shows in 2019. Um, And last year, SeaWorld actually announced they would end their breeding program. And that was a bit of a historic day and yeah. win for um, orcas. And at the moment in the USA, the, uh, the government there is, um, or Congress is considering a bill called the Orca Responsibility and Care Advancement Bill, uh, abbreviated as Orca. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, which would permanently end orca captivity across the United States and prohibit orca breeding, the wild capture of orcas and the import or export of orcas for public purposes uh, for display. Uh, so that's going through Congress at the moment. I think it's at the beginning of the, the long trail. And that's been put forward by uh, Rick Larson. He's a Democratic representative for the Washington 2nd District. Um, and this is like this is a fantastic step forward for for orcas. Uh, it is. And, in, and conservation more broadly. Because the impact that something like this has also, of course, demonstrating the power of an independent movie, what it can do, you know, the sort of uh, film documentary that will show to a, a relatively captive audience, you know, well, a captive yep. audience, but then the impact that that has and kicking off a massive campaign and then the, the power and the leverage that that then brings to the rest of it. It's just amazing. It is amazing and really showing the reality of what's happening behind the scenes, behind the shows, that it's not all smiley faces mm. out front and back, that, you know, these animals are actually suffering uh, for our entertainment which which is pretty sad. Um, and interestingly, at the same time, Canada, the Canadian government in Canada, the Canadian government is also considering draft legislation, which is uh, Bill S203, which also aims to phase out some critical exemptions, uh, with some critical exemptions, sorry, the practical keeping, the practice of keeping or breeding cetaceans. And theirs goes a little bit further. There's as whales, dolphins and porpoises. Mm. So a bit more comprehensive. There's only two facilities in Canada that have um, cetaceans. That's Marine Land in Niagara Falls and the Vancouver Aquarium in British Columbia. Um, but van- the um, one of them only has like a small handful of animals. So and they've already decided to phase them out. So I think as they see this coming along, they decide to get on board and, and make an announcement before the legislation yeah. comes through. And that's that's probably not a bad thing. Um, it works well too for them in terms of, of their their PR, their marketing. It's going to look a lot better if they're being proactive about this rather than forced to do it by new incoming legislation. It does. Um, but the one of them just has three cetaceans, so... You know, really, it's probably very little effort for them to right. move on early. Yep. Uh, the legislation will also, though, allow for um, for them to keep their existing animals, despite what I just said, um, and also capture uh, animals in distress that they see out in the wild so they can still bring them in and rehabilitate them. So it wouldn't mean that um, wild animals were being left to fend to themselves, which is, although that's probably what wild animals do, really. <laughs> Um, but interestingly, you kind of wonder then what's the what's the future for SeaWorld uh, if you if the US and Canada is uh, going to stop allowing them to show show their show their animals and do the the shows. 
And uh, interestingly enough, this week, uh, a Chinese group has bought a 21% stake in SeaWorld, uh, which a Blackstone group who previously owned that stake have sold it to the Zhonghong Zuen group. Um, and they're a leisure and tourism holding group. And they paid about $448 million for that oh, share. Wow. Uh, which was about $23 a share. That was above their closing that day of 1731. So they paid some serious money to get into uh, SeaWorld. And um, the reason why they did that is so that they can bring the SeaWorld name to China. Right. Uh, and expand it over there. And, and part of the deal is that um, SeaWorld will advise them on the development of theme parks in China. So um, I thought that was a little bit sad and distressing is that while we've managed to have some great steps forward in the US and Canada, uh, we're now going to see this stuff happening in China where there is a huge market there for um, water and um, animal entertainment. Apparently there's already about 300 sort of attractions in China. um, Theme parks are quite popular. Uh, And there's already 39 ocean parks in China. So there's... There's already a large number of animals. They say there's already 491 cetaceans, including 279 bottlenose dolphins, 114 belugas and nine orcas already in captivity. Mm. Uh, so that's obviously only going to expand. But um, And unfortunately too, judging from some of the articles I've read, the, um, their captivity, how they're held in captivity, the standards aren't quite as good as what you might see in the USA, even though we think those standards are bad, um, they're probably 50 years ago um, standards. So it's, it's quite sad, the fate of what's going to happen to uh, many of those animals. So you think those animals will get moved? The no, they're an- capturing their own animals. Right. Um, actually, the Chinese don't capture animals, they buy them. Uh, so they get supplied from Russia and Japan and Solomon. Oh, right, yep, OK. Yeah. Well, both uplifting and depressing news all at the same time. Look, look it is it is um, a bit sad, but it's it's important to know this stuff and know that it's happening because, you know, someone could go over there and make a documentary like Blackfish mm. or um, some other actions could happen and, and help to improve, prove and educate um, society there about why this isn't a great thing to do. No. Yep. Thanks, Angeline. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to start that off on a sad no, note. No, no. We'll only get better by the time mixed. we get to Randy Penguins. <laughs> it'll be all happy. We have got something for everyone today. <laughs> oh, excellent. Now, two weeks ago, we were very lucky to be broadcasting this program from within the wonders of the Mornington Peninsula. And at the end of it, our next guest came up to let us know about some of the great community engagement work being done by the council to assist it in continuing to make Mornington Peninsula as clean and green as it can be. Adam Shalikoff is the climate change coordinator from the Mornington Peninsula Shire Council. He joins us now to talk about clean and green peninsula engagement program and what you can do to get involved. Good morning, Adam. Uh, g'day, Bron. And uh, welcome to Triple R. Formally, you were at our at our OB. It was great to meet you there. But um, it's great also that we've now got you on the program. Yeah, what a great event was it down at Rye? Yep, down um, at Rye. <laughs> Tell us about the Clean and Green Peninsula program. What's that all about? All right, Bron. Morning um, to Peninsula Shire. Um, we're calling for the community input into the best ways we can work with residents and the community, including businesses. Uh, to protect the, the clean, green and natural environment of the Mornington Peninsula. Um, last year we had a project around the council plan with our new councillors where we, um, we asked the council, what, the, what we asked the Shire residents what they wanted in the future in the Shire and the feedback that emerged was 
really the community told us the most loved thing about the peninsula was its environment and protecting and maintaining that was identified by the community as the number one challenge that we face. Um, nearly 92% of people said that, it, that preparing for um, extreme weather was really important to people. So, yeah, we've listened to people and it's now a real priority to work with the community to develop an action plan to tackle, yeah, climate change. And without speaking for other councils, uh, do you know what other councils are up to in this space, particularly those sort of near the coastline around Victoria? Uh, I imagine you're all connected, or are you connected through your work to what the other councils are doing? Uh, there is the, yes, there's the Association of Bayside Municipalities, which is a group of, an alliance of councils that works around Melbourne just to deal with, with coastal issues on Port Phillip Bay particularly. Uh, we're also aligned with other councils. There's some greenhouse alliances on both Western Port and Port Phillip Bay um, that work together dealing with climate change and getting funding, chasing grants and then collaborating, sharing knowledge and then improving their, their climate mitigation works and also helping the community to adapt or be more prepared to cope with possible and real climate change issues. So what would fall under that category of climate mitigation works? What sort of, what sort of, sort of initiatives or strategies or actions would be included in that group? All right. So um, many councils are working to reduce their own emissions, um, either by, say, improving the energy efficiency of their own buildings and the buildings that their community organisations occupy, um, improving street lighting. Um, street lighting is a big component of council emissions. It is the, uh, the energy distributors that, that run the street lights in local roads, but councils can help the, or facilitate the energy distributors to upgrade the lights so they're really efficient LED lights, which use only 30-40% of what the existing halogens and other lights use. So councils are yeah, definitely upgrading their street lighting. They're, they're doing solar panel rollout on council buildings, many councils improving the energy efficiency of the buildings and then down the track people will councils will probably um carbon offset to achieve carbon neutrality by 2021 for, for instance yeah so much going on hey can you talk us through the survey what, what are you after with this survey actually i don't know if you heard me mention earlier that um, i went onto the website last night and sort of first up you need to kind of nominate which part of the mornington peninsula you're from and the, Huge. Mornington Peninsula is, is massive, of course. It's not just sort of that... We kind of tend to think of it as being that stretch of coastline on the um, eastern side of Port Phillip Bay, but it extends all the way around to Western Port as well, doesn't it? And it almost, you know, covers right across the top, almost sort of heading down to um, the the uh, eastern side of Western Port too. Um, sorry, back to the question. Do you need to be a resident in order to do the survey? All right. So uh, residents, ratepayers businesses and visitors to the Mornington Peninsula, we'd love everyone to, to put forward their proposals, put forward their ideas um, about how we can, how the Shire can help residents and businesses and visitors to reduce their carbon emissions and to adapt and, and, and improve their capability to cope with climate change in the future. So people can come from anywhere really, but if they're visitors or permanent people on the, in the Shire, We'd love to hear from you. So the Shire, 
the the survey asked people what would what would they like help with? They could be an individual, or they could be a business, or a, or a community group. You might be a sporting club, or a, a residence group. You might be a a non-government organisation, a friends group. And you can indicate to us how you would most like to be supported to either reduce your emissions or adapt and and learn to cope better with climate change. So everything's on the table, really. We're, we've got our ears open, and we'd love to have your input either via the surveys, they're a five or ten minute survey <clears throat> and the surveys are available on the Mornington Peninsula website if you go to the have your say section of the website or it's called it's Mornington Peninsula Morn Pen, M-O-R-N Pen dot vic dot gov dot au forward slash clean and green is the website. It's pretty easy to find too, Adam. You, I, go, I just Googled it last night. I just Googled Mornington Peninsula Clean and Green and it came up sort of immediately, so it's pretty pretty easy to find. Yeah, and the survey's a five to ten minute survey. You can tick a whole lot of boxes indicating what you do, what you'd like done in the future and put your grand ideas down. Put your aspirational ideas down and we'll take it all into account to, to draft a plan about how we can work collaboratively together. Fantastic. Now you've got some workshops coming up as well. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah. Um, Monday night, um, the 27th of March, we've got a workshop. And if you go to the website we've listed, you can register your interest to come to the website. We'll send you an invitation. At the, at the workshops, we'll be giving you a real chance to have your say. Um, to answer the questions we're asking around how can we help you to reduce your climate change, your carbon emissions and improve your adaptation to climate change. Um, yeah, we can really listen to you and work with you at the workshops. There's also another workshop Thursday afternoon, the 30th of March, and another one in the evening on Thursday the 30th of March. So we'd love to hear from you, register your interest and we'll send you an invitation. Fantastic. We'll put all those links up onto our Facebook page, Adam. So hopefully you'll get lots of um, lots of interest um, through this program, but more broadly as well, because uh, it, it's great stuff that um, Mornington Peninsula Shire is doing, and I'm sure other councils around the bay are doing likewise. And um, good on you. And thanks for making contact with us at uh, at Baha in Rye. It was um, it was great to meet you, and good luck with your program. All right. Thanks a lot, Brian. Okay. okay. See you. Bye. That was uh, Adam Shalikoff there. He's the Climate Change Coordinator for Mornington Peninsula Shire Council. Great work going on. We'll put those links up on our Facebook page. We'll be doing that right now. Excellent. <laughs> Got time for a few quick plugs and then I think we're going to put on another track. Uh, Earth Hour was last night, Angeline. It was. From uh, 8.30 till 9.30. So that's a time when we... Um, it's actually been going for 10 years. It's the 10th anniversary of Earth Hour. It kind of... It was a bit of a quiet one this year. Not not a lot of PR it around it. My house. I forgot. <laughs> I think it's it normal. It, I've noticed. I don't know whether I've just been so busy doing other things and didn't notice. But um, Earth Hours had a, a much bigger lead up to it than I've noticed in uh, for this year. Uh, but anyway, it's now celebrated in. Started, it was actually an Australian idea. Um, 172 countries now do Earth Hour, and uh, 7,000 cities and towns worldwide 
So this has grown into the largest grassroots movement for the environment. Uh, and uh, Beyond the Hour projects and initiatives also happen throughout the year. So um, good on you out there. If you did Earth Hour, if you forgot or, um, or actually didn't even realise it was on, then no matter because it's going to come around again next year. You could always do something today, maybe. Yeah. If you're feeling guilty. Retrospective super guilty. Earth, yeah, retrospective. <laughs> um, couple of big plugs I wanted to get in. Last week we had on our program curator of the um, exhibition called Weaving the Waterways. It was women and fishing. Uh, Glenda Nichols is the curator and she's one of the um, very major featured artists. I just wanted to plug this one because I actually went to it yesterday. I was in Fed Square and um, went to an event and after the event was finished, I, I um, headed over to the Koori Heritage Trust. It's a really great exhibition. If you're anywhere within the CBD area, I totally recommend going and just spending some time in the Koori Heritage Trust and, and having a look and absorbing, um, the, I guess, the significance of the pieces that have been created and, and put around the um, their exhibition room. So Weaving the Waterways, Women and Fishing um, Koori Heritage Trust and it runs until May. May, so all the way through 14th of May, all the way through the uh, school holidays. I'm sure a lot of you out there listening will be bringing your kids into the city to do stuff. So take them down to Fed Square. Koori Heritage Trust is very easy to find. You go past that screen where the kids jump around in front of the camera and see themselves up on the big screen. Keep heading up the hill and it's sort of directly opposite Acme. It's it's very, very easy to find. Oh, okay. So not at the King Street building? No, no. This is um, in Fed Square. Yep. So definitely worth having a look. It's free. Um, they ask for a gold coin donation or you can donate as much as you want. So there you go. Um, this is a really interesting one that, that came across my desk. The uh, That's kind of a phrase, isn't it? Someone just emailed it to me. <laughs> it's a very old expression, isn't it? I don't know why Your I said that. Your electronic desk. <laughs> yeah. Um, at the ASTA on Wednesday, they are... I saw this thing and I've actually... I've got the ASTA poster on the back of the toilet wall. It's You know, I've been doing that since I was... You know, Do they uni. still have them? I haven't seen them for a while. Yeah, you can get on a mailing list oh, and, and they mail them out to you. Um, Ocean Film Festival. I heard about this. I, I saw it on that um, Facebook. Yeah. So Ocean Film Festival, it is actually a two-hour um, collection of films, short films about the ocean and the sea. And the it's going all around the world and the ASTA are taking part in this. Um, there's also a screening at Crown... Uh, during the week as well, I think. But anyway, it's at the Asta. I always like to give the Asta a big plug. Do love yeah, the Asta. It's a great place. Yeah. So on Wednesday, so if you want to go along, um, it's just two hours in the evening. The films that they're going to be screening are Whale Chasers from New Zealand. Uh, so this is a, um, a senior citizen science program about keeping watch for migrating humpback whales. Did you say a senior citizen? Yes. Yeah. Senior citizen science. Not a, yeah, great. Yeah. That's fantastic. So, um, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Then Sea Gypsies from the US, that's a 48-minute uh, documentary. The vessel is the Infinity, a 120-foot nomadic sailboat built by hand in the 1970s with no reinforced hull to protect it from ice damage. The crew is a band of wandering gypsy miscreants with uh, no permits, no insurance and no budget. They go down to uh, they go down from New Zealand. They travel thirteen thousand kilometres across the Pacific to Patagonia via Antarctica. Gosh, that's pretty cool. It is crazy. Then there's a short film called The Accord, which is about um, surfing in Iceland. <laughs> Can you picture <laughs> that? Only for the brave. You'd need a decent, decent kind of. You'd almost need a dry suit for that, I think, wouldn't you? Imagine you could. They like, probably surf no, in a but dry you know what suit. surfers are like. They'd just be out there in their board shorts. <laughs> 
Um, then there's a really short five-minute one called Stay With Us. Um, search for extraterrestrial life has always fascinated the human race. We look to darkness above and imagine the alien creatures that share our universe. So it's a bit of a creative Fantastic. piece, that one. And this one, which I love, Four Mums in a Boat, 30 Minutes from the UK, when four British middle-aged working mums announced they wanted to row the Atlantic Ocean, their families thought they'd lost their minds. So this is the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. It's considered one of the toughest ocean endurance challenges on the planet. So for British middle-aged working mums decided they were going to do it. So looks fantastic. It's on at the Asta this coming Wednesday, 29th of March, from 7 until 10. So, yeah, uh, we'll put a link to that on our Facebook page as well. well. Giving you another job, Angeline. Last one to quickly get in and then we're going to play a track. Um, We've mentioned this one a few times. The Disabled Surfers Association are having a surf competition uh, next Saturday, April the 1st. It's in Shoreham at Pines Beach. It's called Malediction Longboarders. It's a one-day surf comp to raise funds for the DSAMP, so the Disabled Surfers Association Mornington Peninsula Branch. Uh, It's a team competition with four-person teams, entry fee of $200 a team, and the competitors all ride soft longboards which is supplied by the association. Costumes are encouraged. You get more um, more points for costumes and some fantastic prizes um, being offered for that too. So we've put a link to that on our Facebook page previously. We might refresh that. Now, each year, the Marine Stewardship Council heads up Sustainable Seafood Day. It's a day that focuses on the importance of sustainable fishing and the future of our oceans. This year's Sustainable Seafood Day is coming up this Friday, March the 31st. Anne Gabriel is the Oceana Program Director for the Marine Stewardship Council. She joined us now to tell us about Sustainable Seafood Day and what we can all do to play our part. Good morning, Anne. Hello, good morning. It's a pleasure to be in touch. Oh, it's it's lovely to have you with us. Now, we haven't caught up with um, Marine Stewardship Council for some time. I thought perhaps for our listeners who haven't come across you before, can you tell us a bit about the MSC? Oh, yes, for sure. Uh, the Marine Stewardship Council, which is uh, known as the MSC in short, um, is an international non-profit organisation really was established back in the 1997, which is about years ago, uh, to address the problem of unsustainable fishing and just to ensure that uh, the resources in our oceans are safeguarded for today and generations to come. Um, back in the 1990s, we had a catastrophic uh, events in the fishing industry where there was a cod um, fisheries which collapsed. And all of a sudden, what was perceived to be an you know, endless, limitless, limitless resource came to an end. And that cost over 40,000 people their jobs um, and shoot the industry, really. It was sort of a wake-up call. So at that point, the WWF and Unilever came together um, to think through a solution, established, obviously, the MSC uh, to uh, uh, the whole issue of overfishing uh, for the longer term. So here we are today. And initially you started in London, I believe, and you've obviously um, grown and expanded and are now worldwide. Um, Our listeners and and people may um, recognise you for your eco-branding, and that's been one of the, the, what I've seen as being a really great success of the MSC. Um, Can you talk us through the eco-branding that you do? Yeah, for sure. So the MSC uh, started off as the fishery certification standard. Um, and then what it does, um, it has uh, goes through the supply chain in terms of right from the fishery to the processors, the traders, along the supply chain, right to brands in, in supermarkets. And that goes through the chain of custody certification process where the eco-label is then uh, put onto end consumer products. So if you find a product in the shelf or in restaurants that are using the MSC eco-label, 
it gives consumers the assurance they've gone through a third-party certification process to make sure that where that fish is sourced from um, has been uh, managed through sustainable means. And it's very easy to recognise, isn't it? It's li- like a little blue oval with a with um, sort of like the outline of a white fish inside. So, uh, is there yeah. a, there's a tick on it as well? I think. Yeah, that's right. It comes to like a silhouette of a fish, and it's got a bit of a white tick above it. So sometimes it's called uh, the the tick. Sometimes it's called a blue label. Uh, but you'll be able to see it's quite distinct. Yeah, it's it's quite obvious. Now, I mentioned that you're the Oceana Program Director. Can you tell us a bit about the Oceana region? How big an area is this? Yeah, sure. So I've come on board um, sometime last year, but my background really has been within communications and within the sustainability space. So I oversee the work that we do in Australia, New Zealand, the Western Central Pacific. So Australia and New Zealand are both producing markets well as um, uh, demand-consuming markets. So I work both, my team and I work closely on both getting fishery certified as well as just making sure that the supply chain um, progresses um, extensively within these two markets. The Western Central Pacific is really more um, fisheries-producing region with regards to specifically tuna. And uh, I think we should maybe move from here straight forward to um, Sustainable Seafood Day at the end of this week. What's involved from the MSC's perspective and, and what can our listeners do to celebrate or get involved? You sure. The Sustainable Seafood Day is um, annual flagship event for the MSC. Um, I really look at it as being two-pronged. It's a day when, you know, everyone who's played their part in terms of progressing the vision for protecting our oceans come together. And these are everyone from NGOs, to the government, to fishing industry, supermarket, brands, and everyone has played a part in it, come together to celebrate where we've come from. I mean, look, we've, we've achieved quite a bit. To date, we've got 10% of uh, wild catch around the world is MSC certified, and that's equivalent to about 9.3 million tonnes. We've got 20 of 1,000 products in 100 countries using the MSC Ecolabel, 312 fisheries in 36 countries which have been certified. So we've come a long way, Brown, and it's a, it's a great moment for us to celebrate that. Uh, but it's also a day in which we recommit ourselves to the larger agenda of how much more we can do, um, how much more we can commit in terms of working together with so many diverse stakeholders. So it's also a time for us to just renew that sort of vision and commitment, but it's a great time to come together. Your second question about, I guess, the role of consumers. When consumers are becoming extremely discerning, um, we are very um, inspired by the recent research that we did in terms of consumers saying that there's a growing awareness with regard to the role they play in making the right choices when they go shopping. But consumers just want to know what brand they can trust and if that particular brand has gone through a third-party labeling exercise. You know, all the details with regards to the signs and the rigor, you know, it's up to the, the label organization to be looking into. The consumers just want to trust that when they're choosing the MSC Eco label, it's the right choice. So I would definitely suggest that all of us play our part, whether we go to a supermarket or whether we go to a restaurant, that we're continuously asking these um, business owners where are these fish coming from? Is it sustainably being sourced? Has it an Eco label on board? And I think the more conversations as such take place, 
um, I think industry will also want to come together and embrace the whole agenda together. Yeah, I totally agree. And also, um, just in terms of the power of social media, most, well, many, many, many people these days have either um, or, you know, a combination of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that there's so many opportunities to get yeah. the message out there without necessarily seeming like you're uh, on, a, on a red hot campaign trail. Uh, but it, it's very, very easy to just get that message out there and just put something in your in your newsfeed um, uh, in your yeah. yeah in your Facebook status on on Friday, which is Sustainable Seafood Day. That's absolutely a great point. I mean, even just in line with Sustainable Seafood Day, we've had the pleasure of working together with our chef ambassadors. Andy Ellen Scott Gooding, who are also going to be present in Four Pines, uh, the restaurant in Manly, which um, is one of the few restaurants in Australia to be chain of custody certified. So we've got a lot of posts that's going to be up in the MSC in Australia, Facebook um, and social media platforms. So what you've said is absolutely correct. Please uh, feel free to use those uh, posts and news, you know, spread that within your own network. And that's actually one of the most effective ways of spreading the good news as well. Fantastic. And we'll put some links to um, the Marine Stewardship Council, MSC, on our Facebook page and um, particularly through to Sustainable Seafood Day. So um, everyone listening to this program can check it out more for themselves. Thanks so much for joining us. Fantastic. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we'll catch up again soon, hopefully. Will do. Anytime. Okay. Thanks, Anne. Yes, bye. Bye for now. And Gabriel there in Sydney, Oceania, uh, Program Director of the Marine Stewardship Council. Sounds like it's a good cause. It is. Good morning, Neil Blake. G'day, how you going, Brian? Good. Might just get you to pop your mic up just a tiny bit. Sorry, I should have okay, checked it. Has that right? That's perfect. How are you? I'm um, great, yeah. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you here. It's exciting to be in the Radio Marinara studio, but I'm a bit surprised though, Brian. I yes. thought I'd see you in the club colours today. <laughs> but come on, they don't make bombers tragics <laughs> like they used to. They're on the inside. Uh, <laughs> I'm red and black on the inside. <laughs> um, so you're here because, well, you... you, you um, uh, bring us up to speed with what's happening around the bay. Yeah, but so what's, tell us about these penguins. What's going on? Well, uh, you know, I just happened to visit the uh, colony you know, in mid-March and uh, I was expecting to find maybe a couple, just, uh, but not much action going on at all. And uh, uh, then uh, suddenly I found that um, uh, I heard this sound of a mating penguin. You heard them before? Coming from out of the rocks. That's what they sound like well, when that's they what mate. They sound like, yeah. There's really? No heavy breathing or anything like that. <laughs> and, uh, and then there was another lot. That, you know, then another lot. So there were about uh, half a dozen pairs that were mating within a relatively short uh, section of the breakwater. Is and this the uh, St Kilda Festival getting kind of extending its? Um, effect to the penguin colony well, at St Kilda? I thought that. That was my first suspicion. Right. But then it occurred to me, though, that there's actually been an early aggregation of the spider crabs too. Right. So there's something going on in, in the marine environment generally. And uh, so it would be really interesting to sort of um, touch on what it is. That, you know, there could be a number of factors, obviously. But say, for example... Um, 2016 was a very high rainfall year, so about 45% higher than uh, what you would expect coming out of the Yarra catchment. Mm. Uh, you know, and that's obviously bringing a lot of nutrient and you know, which then increases starting the food chain. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting time. And the other uh, one, the other obvious one, is water temperature too. So um, the studies that are. Bureau of Meteorology have um, shown that, that uh, the sea surface temperatures around the coast of Australia from Broome right 
clockwise around to South Australia are either uh, higher than ever before mm. or, or much higher than average. Um, I noted at the start of the program that the water temperature in the bay is still listed as 20 degrees and I, I thought by now it would have started to kind of climb in a southwards direction but that, that's, that's right. That's yeah. just my recollection. Usually around Easter, you start to see it drop by a degree or two because we're a couple of months out of January when it's usually the you know the peak air temperatures. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. So there's there are things going on, and it's it's great this here uh, Shire such as Mornington uh, taking some local uh, initiative there because uh, clearly climate change is is happening, and uh, whether it's uh, man-made or human. Uh, uh, centric or whatever, uh, and, and natural causes as well. Uh, the point about it is it is happening and yep. we need to start taking some action on it. That's right. So, Neil, just <clears throat> extrapolating out from, from now, do you think next year you will have a population ex- explosion? Well, that's going to be an interesting thing because, I mean, uh, typically the penguins do have a bit of a false um, breeding season in, in around about May, uh, just when they're... Um, Consolidating their partnerships, etc., and uh, but and there have been some uh, eggs successfully uh, incubated from such uh, events in the past. But it's really going to be uh, a question about how how uh, the, the food supplies sustain themselves in the coming year because we're now having uh, forecasts from the Bureau of Meteorology saying it's going to be a, a warm and relatively dry sort of autumn. So uh, uh, whether things keep continue into the or the uh, store stocks that have been built up in uh, in the recent 12 months of good conditions how far that'll keep it going into the future is the question so when is the next batch of chicks due well typically uh you know the breeding season in st kilda uh, can start as early as june yep uh, but that would be you know not the whole colony though the main season is between say september to uh uh, December and, okay. and it, a yep. few few individuals still um, being fledged in uh, in January, but uh, the breeding season really focuses around that spring period. Yep. Is that consistent, Neil? So with um, with Phillip Island as well, do we tend to find penguins generally breed at about the same time? It seems to be the case. Yeah. Mm. So uh, uh, although um, uh, it will depend largely on. Uh, the um, availability of food and whether or not they, the, the birds think that they're in that kind of condition that they just want to get on with it. Yeah, really interesting to see. So this um, sort of early um, breeding and mating behaviour, whether it's being replicated at Phillip Island or in other penguin colonies that are maybe a bit further away from the spider crabs. Yeah, that, that's right. I think um, it's really, there's a lot we don't know and, and we're in unprecedented times in terms of the environmental conditions and change that's occurring and so it really highlights the value of uh, uh, good monitoring programs on a whole range of environmental parameters to, to be keep in touch with what's what's actually occurring. Yeah definitely. What have you got coming up over the next few weeks? Uh, well I've been lucky in the last uh, few weeks I've been working with we've got four students from Massachusetts who've come oh. over from uh, the Worcester Polytechnic Institute and they're they're working with us on um, developing and trialling our um, uh, beach audits for microplastics and comparing uh, the methods with uh, those that are used elsewhere and uh, including overseas. So we're really going to give it a good nudge to uh, come up with a, a, a user-friendly method that can be 
readily replicated uh, into the future yeah. so we can get some real good data on that sort of stuff. That's right. So if you get that methodology consistent, it really is just going to increase the quality of the data that you're collecting. That's exactly right. Mm. And uh, um, th we, the key is going to be getting people uh, around, or at least around Port Phillip Bay, using the same method so yep. that we can really tell a story. How long are they here for? Uh, they're here until uh, the first week in May, so Great. we've been really lucky to have very talented, smart young people. Oh, maybe so, we can get you to bring them in next time you're in, yeah, maybe I'm towards sure the end of April. I'm sure they'd be interested in that. Yeah, Fantastic. So. Mm. Any community events coming up between now and then? Uh, well, uh, this afternoon I'm going to be doing some uh, uh, live mollusk surveying down at Middle Park, uh, and that's, again, I suppose, touching on... Uh, the things that we don't know, you know, the, the sandy seabed mollusks are relatively unstudied and so we're really wanting to get a program going that uh, will continue that study into the future as well. So uh, that's part of the regeneration project, which is for, for young people between 15 and 25. So you'd fit into that category, Angela? I would indeed. Yeah. That's correct. More of the 15 age group. Okay. Yeah. Well, come along, come along. Uh, check out the Echo Centre website then and you'll see Re Regeneration Project and you can uh, get in touch there. Fantastic. Thanks, Neil. Thank you. It's great. So we'll get you, um, we'll go and have a chat in the green room and, and get a time sometime between now and when your students head back to the US. Great. Brilliant. Uh, this brings us to the end of Radio Marinara for today. Thanks, Angeline. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Kent. He's panelling for us. Are you going to hang around and panel for the doctors too, Kent? Oh, amazing. The stamina. The stamina. <laughs> There's about 100 of them out there. Good luck with that. Um, and thanks to Neil, to our other guests as well, and Gabriel from the Marine Stewardship Council and Adam Shalikoff from the Mornington Peninsula Council. Angeline's been putting all those details on our Facebook page, so you can check that out. We're getting close to 1,000... Uh, subscribers, Angeline. We are. For, um, for our Facebook. It's getting, now, getting pretty yeah. close. Like, if, you know, if you don't like, if you haven't liked us, please do. Yeah, please do. Hey, I'm away for the next couple of weeks. I'm actually heading up to the east coast of New South Wales, up to Bermagui. So next week, Dr Beach and Anth will be in the house. And in the following week, yourself and John, Angeline. That's right. We'll be home alone. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, have a great couple of weeks. Stay safe. Get out there and um, enjoy our wonderful marine environments. And uh, I'll catch you in three weeks' time. Stay tuned for Radiotherapy. Bye for now. Triple R. For complete access to the Triple R archives, which include over 100 interviews, live to air performances, documentaries, and other Triple R specials, become a subscriber via the link on our website. Thanks for listening to Triple R.